Many times in life, we struggle to see our sinfulness. We struggle to see what keeps us from embracing the will and the love of God. In today's gospel, we've got this young man who says he has followed the commandments. He knows the will of God, and he's followed them from his youth. Now, I don't know about you, but when I heard that list, I can honestly say I can't count myself in his ranks because of the last one especially, because if any child under the age of 18 comes and says that they have always honored their father and their mother from their youth, then you have to look at the fourth one on there where it says, you shall not bear false witness. You're a liar. Because we struggle sometimes to honor our parents. We struggle sometimes to understand why they tell us what to do, how they tell us what to do, because they're old, and we know right from wrong. But as we heard last week in the class that I had, we are also the same people that sometimes can't tell our left hand from our right hand. That we really don't know what's best for us. And so sometimes we do struggle to follow the commands of God. I've got a short kind of funny story about how number four, honor your father and your mother, was one that was brought up in the household of the Grovers very often, especially to their second oldest son. In fact, any time that I was being a little persnickety or a little sarcastic, my dad would just have to hold up his four fingers. Just like any time I was being arrogant, he would always just say, Ecclesiastes 1.1, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And I would know what he was trying to tell me because I got in trouble a lot and he would always hold up those four fingers. When I got older and became an adult, by civic standards, which means I reached my 18th birthday, I thought, I know better than my parents. They, don't, they aren't my judges anymore. They aren't my jury anymore. They're definitely not my executioner anymore. I can do whatever I want to. So my 20th birthday, I had to go to work at 6 o'clock in the morning. My family got to go to Disneyland on my birthday when I had to work. So I said, all right, Lord, enough is enough. I'm not living in my parents' house today because I was working, so I can do whatever I want to. Growing up, I always wanted a mohawk. Close your eyes, picture it. Think of Juan Lopez's son with the mohawk and just on father. How awesome would that look? Even without the beard, it would be amazing, right? I was a moron as a kid. But I always wanted a mohawk, and my dad always said, my house, my rule's not going to happen. I'm not in your house. I know better than you do. You're at Disneyland on my birthday. I'm getting a mohawk. So I went out and bought a razor, shaved my hair down, and realized that's not short enough for around here. So I went and got some shaving cream and got a Bic razor. And the, the term bicking your hair comes from a Bic razor. I never knew that growing up. And so I bicked my hair down, and I had this awesome, epic mohawk. And I thought, you know what? My driver's license is coming up. I need to take my driver's license picture just for posterity. My hair never grew back. <laughs> True story. So when it grows back, and you can check after mass if you don't believe me, I have a little patch of hair right here and nothing here. It's my parents' epic, I told you so that God confirmed and said, honor your father and your mother, or you two will go bald like Father Danny. 
Now, I tell, you that, I tell you that as a funny anecdote, it is a true story. I didn't have hair here afterwards. But how many times do we have lesser sins that we don't think really affects anyone? Oh, well, if I tell a lie, does it really affect anyone? If I take this one thing, does it really affect anyone? If I don't show up at this one thing when I promise I have, does it really affect anyone? Well, this man in today's gospel followed all of the commandments, and yet he still was lacking something. And it wasn't the fact that he had possessions that made him uneligible. The struggle was his attachment to his possessions. How many times do we become attached to things? I didn't realize how attached I was to my Apple CarPlay until it started acting up this week. And it flips on and off about every 45 seconds, so much so that I got so frustrated. Ask Katie, it's a true story. I got so frustrated, I went to the Apple store to AT&T and got a new phone. Because I have to be able to put my GPS in and go and do these things. And I realized, touche God, you're preaching to me in this gospel more than I'm preaching to them. Because we become attached sometimes to those small things, to those easy conveniences. How many times do we get attached to those things and put those before our relationship with God? Because that's what Christ was talking about in today's gospel. Not the fact that this guy was rich, but the fact that he was attached to his possessions because he was downcast not because he was told to sell everything. He was downcast because he had a lot of possessions. And when we possess things, we feel like we can control them. When we possess things, we think we can dictate what they're used for. What we forget, though, is every possession that we have is given to us because God loves us. The ability to purchase those things, the ability to come into contact with those things aren't because of anything that we've done. Yes, we may have cooperated with God's grace. We may have cooperated with his love and cooperated with him and learning skills and doing these different things to be able to have the money to purchase these things. But ultimately, every gift that we have in this life is meant to be given away, given back to God. But we struggle. We struggle because we don't always see what is right in front of us. In fact, I remember the first time I heard this gospel, I was so stuck in the middle part of the gospel that I missed everything else. Did you notice Jesus' response to the disciples when they said, well, who can then go to heaven? And what does Jesus say? It is easier for an eye, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get to heaven. Again, I was kind of slow growing up. I thought the eye of a needle was the eye of a needle, like that you thread, because I have to like on the thread to get it through there and then still it just doesn't work. And I thought, there's no way that a camel can get through there. No wonder the apostles are just so aghast and so set behind. And then I realized that that's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about a sewing needle. The eye of the needle that Jesus was talking about in today's gospel was the night gate into the city. Because during the day, you go through the front gate, right? You go in, you've got all your bags, you've got all your packages, you've got all your luggage. You can just go in, big gate, you can go in through. The night gate, however, not so much. Very small, very Grover-sized. Grover-sized, small. 
So the camels would have to actually get down on their knees and probably be pulled from one side and pushed from the other to make it through there without having any packs on it. So it was possible to get the camel through the eye of a needle, but it was impossible to do by itself. And so when we take that image and implant it on what Christ is talking about in the gospel, it is not possible for you to get to heaven by yourself. But, and it's always nice that anything after the but is what's really important there, but for God, all things are possible. So really, when we look back then at that rich man, his struggle wasn't that he followed the Ten Commandments. His struggle was he thought he could do it without God. He thought that he didn't have to have God as his number one. As long as he's in the top ten list, that's all that matters, right? Well, no. When Christ tells us what the greatest commandment is, what does he say to us? Well, as long as God's up there somewhere. No. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. But if we put anything before our relationship with God our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our children, our relationship with our family, our relationship with our job, our relationship with our possessions, anything, we are not ultimately following the will of God. And you may look and say, wait a second, if I put my relationship with my husband or my wife before God, that's not a good thing? No, it's not. Because if you are not grounded in the love of God, The love that you have for your spouse is imperfect. You or they will hold something back or use something against each other for gain. But with God and our relationship with him, he holds nothing back from us. He offers us every gift that we need. The problem, though, is many times those gifts that we need aren't the gifts that we want. We think we are doing enough. We are doing enough. But again, we are not doers of the law. We are beers of the law. That our goodness is not equated in our utility. Dumb down. What you do doesn't show your value. What shows your value is your existence. It should sound familiar because this is pretty much in every gospel that I preach or every homily that I preach. Why? Because it's at the heart of the gospel. At the heart of the gospel is the love of God, that free gift that he gives to us. In fact, I was approached at the Elk City football game the other night by a guy that came up and tapped my shoulder and said, "Um, sir, um, two questions. One, are you a minister? I had my collar on. I want to say, what was your first? But I didn't. I was good. And he said, second question, so... You're you're Catholic or Methodist? I'm I'm Catholic. Okay, good. So I'm having a conversation and a debate with my minister. I said, oh God, please don't be scriptural. Please don't be scriptural. Please don't be scriptural. Because I know my scriptures, but I can't quote them. Outside of like Ecclesiastes 1.1 and John 3.16, that's about as far as I can go sometimes. And he said, we're having a discussion and a debate over free will versus predestination. Hallelujah! I can have this conversation. I said, but which side do you fall on? He said, well, my, my, my pastor says predestination is the way the Christian church teaches. I said, and what do you say? Free will. <laughs> You're right and your pastor's wrong. He's like, wait, wait say that again. Expl- explain it to me so I can explain it to him. I said, well, if we go back to the beginning of time, 
We go back to Genesis. We've been talking about this in the classes. And God created man and woman in his image and likeness. We, we know that. Well, we have to fast forward to John to see what the image and likeness of God is. And we really hear this from St. Augustine. God is what? God is love. Love, by definition, must be shared and must be free. Because if it is not free, it is no longer love. You are then being coerced or forced into an action, which is why when we talk about sacraments of, of uh, reconciliation, matrimony, holy orders, confirmation, you cannot be coerced to receiving those sacraments. That can invalidate the sacrament. But with God, because he gives us free will, he loves us so much that he gives us the ability to say no. He gives us the ability to say, I choose other than what's best for me. And he said, huh, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Father. And it's like, come to church on Sunday, come to church on Sunday, come to church on Sunday. But it's amazing how small conversations like that, when we break them down to their logical bare bones, they begin to make sense. We can't be predestined or predetermined, because if so, if you look at the other side of that matter, if God created out of predestination, this God who is love, then he predetermined who would go to hell. That doesn't resonate with the God that is love. Therefore, predestination cannot be. But we still struggle with that. Why? Because Satan doesn't want us to see the, the validity and the facts that are sitting right in front of us. He wants us to try and muddle it down to, well, I don't like that because that means that God lets me make bad decisions. He does. Well, my parents didn't let me, make me, didn't let me make bad decisions. Really? Let's go ask them how many bad decisions they allowed you to make as a kid. Or how many bad decisions you made behind their back that they didn't even know. They know. They always know. I never understood how teachers could see out of the back of their heads until I became the son of a teacher. Because not only was he a counselor and a teacher, he was a deacon. I got away with nothing. All the parties he knew about before I even got invited. They stopped inviting me because they said, your dad already knows about it. There's no point in inviting you. Dad. But I say all of that to say, we have to look at our priorities. And I keep harping on this as we, and I include myself in that, we continue to fall to sin. There's one remedy for sin, the love of God. The reason I continue and will continue and will continue and will continue to talk about the sacrament of reconciliation isn't because I want to hear your sins, isn't because I care what your sins are, it's because I want you to be loved the best you can be loved. And I know that if you have not been to confession, you are not loved the way you should be loved. As simple as that. If it's been a day, if it's been a week, if it's been a month, if it's been a year, if it's been a decade, if it's been a century, because like 90s are technically a century ago, whatever. If it's been a millennia since the 1900s were 20 years ago, but whatever. If it's been a long time since you've been to confession, why? 
Normally it's the, well, I don't want someone to hear my sins in one ear and out the other. Again, I don't care what your sins are, and I don't say that to be crass. I say it to say, I'm not here to judge you. My role in the sacrament of reconciliation is to offer you God's love and mercy. That's it. I'm not there to say, oh, you said what about who? Ooh, gossip. No! My role in the confessional, in the sacrament of reconciliation, is to bring you face to face with he who is love. Ultimately, at the bottom of the excuses many times that we have, at the heart of the excuses many times for why I don't go to the sacrament of reconciliation, for me at least, growing up, it was, I always used the, oh, well, I don't want Father to look at me differently. That's what I had looked at. But at the heart of it was really a, I can't really forgive myself. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. So why should I go try and seek it? I'm not worthy of God's forgiveness. I'm not worthy of his love. I should be sent to hell for my sins. Of which the Lord says, you know what? You're right. But I love you anyways. I'll forgive you anyways. What's holding you back? And ultimately, that's at the heart of the good news. The love of God. That's at the heart of the gospel today. Yes, he held to the Ten Commandments, but he still puts someone before his relationship with God. For you and me, we can't get to heaven by ourselves. It's not going to happen. For us, it is truly impossible. But remember the words from Christ in today's gospel, for God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Not your worst mistake, not your worst decision, not your worst decade, not your worst relationship, nothing. So if nothing is impossible for God, when will we start believing that he can truly love us? When will we start believing that he will truly forgive us? And when will we finally get out of the way, sell all of those things that keep us from the Lord? I'm not talking about your possessions, I'm talking about those sins. When do we sell those sins out and truly love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, our souls, and our minds, and truly love our neighbor as ourself. That is the life of holiness. That is the journey of faith that we are all on. What are we waiting for?